Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel and I'm glad to have you back for another week. Um, remember, our mantra is explore what you love. So find something you really love and put all your passion into it. Transform how you think. Don't keep using the same ways you've been thinking for years and wondering why you never get anywhere. Change your thinking, look for other options and become an exceptional being. We can all be exceptional beings and it's not that hard. I just would like people to show a bit of compassion to each other, help out that person in a supermarket, whatever you can do to become better than what you were yesterday. So, oh, I was going to tell you the numbers. So, actually, in Italy at the moment, we're, we're having 900 people a week listening. And in Ukraine, 780. In the US, 2,760 are listening. And in Australia, 400. So, there's not as many people in my own country listening to me as people around the world. But that's okay. Anyway, today I have with me Marty Noki. And uh, Marty and I have been trying to tee up a conversation for a while. Like I said, I think last week and the week before, I've got all these people I need to interview and I really want to have conversations with, but Marty's in the US. I can't remember whereabouts in the US, he'll tell us. But hello, Marty, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fantastic. It's great to finally meet you. And we've been on and off trying to get this set up. And now we finally found a time where we can talk. I'm just curious. Why do you think there's less people that listen in your country than elsewhere? (laughs) I don't know. Look, I mean, as I said to you off air, we are in lockdown again. And I thought more people would listen. But uh, look, I think uh, mental health, uh, maybe um, positive psychology, I think uh, other places in the world maybe latch onto it more than what they do here. Um, I mean, especially America, that's where I've got the most people listening. And I think it's great because, you know, if I can hit it there, I can make it anywhere. (laughs) I'm not in New York, though. (laughs) No, whereabouts are you? Well, I'm currently in Maryland but uh, because I lived here for uh, about 20 years, but I'm living in Pennsylvania. Okay. Over the border here, so... Okay, so do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your life? Because it's an interesting one. It is an interesting one. I'm, I'm actually in Maryland. Well, I said I lived here for more than 20 years, uh, where I served as a Catholic priest until 2019, January of 2019, and uh, left ministry behind. It was interesting listening to you talk about life changes you. I think life always has a way of changing you, if you allow it to change you. That's right. Um and that life was uh, killing me. Many people are surprised when I tell them that it was sucking the, the soul out of me. Wow. Um, it was not my life to live. I, could, I can honestly say that at this point. And so I, I had left because of my health. It was literally making me sick. Um, and had planned on leaving for a month or so. And I ended up on an organic farm for what was supposed to be a month and ended up being a year. And everything just kind of kept stretching out. And I, I, I realized that it, it wasn't my life to go back to. And um, so started to explore other options like entrepreneur, starting my own business with uh, coaching and consulting. And just started teaching as well. Uh, I taught for many years, even as a priest, philosophy and theology. And I'm now teaching philosophy to, uh, in a community college in Pennsylvania, which wow. has been great. Can I take you back then to what made you decide to 
join the priesthood in the first place? I mean, when we've talked off air before, I said, was it because you're Italian? Because I don't know, but a lot of films or TV shows I watch, uh, you know, you see the Italian mother saying, I'm so proud of my son, he's joined the priesthood. Was that what happened to you? No. <laughs> Boy, it would make it much easier if that was the that was the case. <laughs> I mean, I've always had an interest in serving. And at that time, I mean, I was 25 years old when I entered seminary to start studying. Um, the pastor at my parish in Pennsylvania was just a really great guy. I enjoyed doing work with him. Um, and I thought it, it was at least something to explore and to consider. Everything's in hindsight at this point. I can look back now and say nothing about church life really interested me. What interested me is what I do now, is the, the philosophy and the asking the bigger questions wow. and exploring who is this God and who am I and who are who are people and why are we here? Um, that That's really what kept me going for the number of years that I did it, was helping people explore those questions. I guess, um, you know, going into the priesthood, learning about theology and philosophy, you do ask all those questions of yourself, don't you? So it's a really good training ground to bring you to where you are now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, people will ask me, do I do I regret it? I, am I sorry I did it? I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm not one of the, there are plenty of priests that leave or are asked to leave for various reasons who just become angry and resentful of the institution. I'm not saying the institution, the institution's far from perfect. Yeah. And there's a lot of sickness within the institution. But um. Yeah, I have no ill will. It got me to where I am today. Yeah, and are you still a believer or have you sort of changed from question. that? I would can, I definitely consider myself a person of faith. It's yep. funny, I, the last time I ever spoke to my bishop from here in, in Baltimore was uh, three months after I had left, April of 2019. And, of course, I knew that question was coming. Well, what about God? Where's God in all of this? Yeah. And I <laughs> It was still, a, it was a profound answer. And I'll tell you what the answer was. I, I said to him, the crazy thing is I've learned more about faith by leaving than I ever did while I was in there. Wow. Because I really had to learn to trust myself and trust that voice within myself. that I was making choices that were best for me, not someone else making them for me, not the institution. Uh, and I, I would still say that to this day, I, I learned more about faith working with the coach I work with than I ever did in ministry. Well, well, that's that's amazing. I mean, well done you for giving such an honest answer. And look, uh, I don't usually talk about religion, but I've always sort of felt that I know my relatives, aunties and uncles uh, followed religiously religion. And yeah. my point of view was that I don't trust in someone else or something else to guide me through life. I trust in myself and my own instincts. And that's sort of what you've said coming out and thinking for yourself and having to trust in yourself. Yeah, and, and think about your little introduction that you do at the beginning of the podcast. I mean, we are all conditioned in one way or another from the time we are kids. Yeah. I, I was just having this conversation with a friend the other day. If you, you If you kind of look at the religious structure, it's very much designed for that kind of thinking, conditioned in one way to think one way, and that's for good or for ill. I know many people who are faithful to it, who find they get something out of it. I'm not, I'm not sure what that is for myself. But um, we're all conditioned in some ways. And 
over the course of my life, certainly in teaching that the subject of philosophy and theology, breaking down that thinking for myself and helping others break down that thinking. Yeah. In many ways, I could look back and say I was doomed to fail in that in that world to begin with, because it is so insular and so small. And the more I chipped away at it, I I felt like I became too big for it. Wow. Look, it's really good that, uh, yeah, it's good to hear other people's points of view on religion. I don't want to go too far into religion because I think it, it can cause controversy with lots Whoa. of people. It, it's a very don't have to tell me. <laughs> touchy subject, isn't it? Not for you, it's not, but people who listen. You know, um, I, I remember doing my counselling uh, diploma and I had to be up against someone who was a devout Catholic who uh, lived her whole life by whatever God said. Um, and what should have taken a 10-minute uh, run-through of a counselling session ended up taking 30 minutes. And then my tutor said, look, I think we need to end it there. Neither of you are going to agree on anything. Um, and she is actually playing the devout Catholic very well because she's so not going to change her mind. And, and that's okay. You know, as I've gone on through life, I've realised, look, it doesn't matter what people think. It's their it's what they believe in and what they want to do. My opinion is just that I, I believe in myself and what I can do. Um, and it's not that I don't believe in God. I just, I, I'm not an atheist. I just don't really do anything with religion. Sure. And I will say, nor do I at the moment. I don't do anything with religion. I mean, the, the pandemic kind of gave me an out at the right time because I was really on the fence already and when everything shut down. I'm, well, when I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about the pandemic, but the pandemic <laughs> shut everything down. And shut everything down. Well, there, there was not even an opportunty to go into a church. Yeah. And I haven't gone since. I'm quite fine with that. So what have you done since you've left uh, religion then? Yeah, so I, so I said I ended up working on an organic farm for a year and living there in uh, West Virginia here. I was supposed to do it for a month. And at the same time, so I left ministry January of that year. I started at the farm in April, and then I lost my dad in June. So there, there was a lot going on in my life in 2019. And what I thought would be a month at the farm ended up becoming a year. I mean, I just had so much to try to deal with and process. And I, I mean, I will say that the institution was great in, in giving me a sabbatical year to start. Um, and so I was still able to manage uh, with a salary and stuff like that to keep myself going. Yeah. And the farm, the farm really helped to reground me as a person because I, it felt like I had so much hurt to me already. And there was something about working out in the field and working in the kitchen and stuff like that. That was, um, it wasn't a coincidence. Somehow it worked out at the right time and it appeared in my life at the right time. And I trusted it. I trusted it when, it, when the opportunity arose. Yeah. Uh, and then I had to, I eventually had to leave there. I, I didn't know when I left there that the pandemic would be shutting everything down. And my plan was just to go get a job, at least until I figured out what I was going to do. Yeah. Uh, it became nearly impossible to get a job at that point. Uh, I wanted to do college work. And by the fall of uh, 2020, I guess that was, I was just kind of at a low point. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I, I can't figure out what I need to do. And started working with a coach at that point. Eventually was offered two jobs, turned both of them down. I realized I didn't want to work for someone else. I didn't want to live someone else's purpose. Yeah. And began to go the route of, uh, of an entrepreneur. 
and uh, finally started my own business this summer. The Emerging Life Project is what I call it, uh, in the sense that we're always emerging into this, this person we're becoming. And uh, yeah, it's been great. And I said, I just started teaching as well. Last week, last week was my first week back in the classroom in three years, which was great. So you're called the Emerging Life or Light? Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L-I-F-E. Yeah, I, and I, I took it not only from my own story, but I, I always loved the, the story of the, the caterpillar, how the caterpillar literally disintegrates into nothing before it becomes a butterfly. Yeah. Its entire being is changed and comes out different. And I, I think in many ways that that's what had been happening to me over these past two years, two and a half years as well is really a, a disintegration of who I was and now emerging as, as the person I am today and help others do the same. So how, how did you first start off almost rebuilding who you were? First, by breaking everything down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thankful. Actually, one of the reasons I'm here in, in Maryland is to, to visit my coach. I, my, the coach I've been going to lives here. I had no idea who he was. I... I met him through Facebook, actually, and uh, I just liked what he wrote. I had no idea that he was a coach. I had no idea what he did, or and I had reached out to him because I really was at a low point. I, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. And uh, come to find out that he was a coach, and he helped me. And he would, if he were here, he would tell you this. He felt the very first thing that he had to be for me was hope he realized I, I was really losing hope yeah. in my own life at that point. And he was a messenger of hope for me at that point and really had to help me break down that thinking that I had lived with because I, I describe it for people who don't, it's hard to understand someone who comes out of the church. It, it, it's kind of rare for people unless it's um, they've done something illegal but uh, I liken it to getting out of prison. It, it felt That's how it felt for me. And it's like, how do I move on with my life knowing this story is here that I don't know what to do with? Uh, and it was really a matter of breaking that down, a whole lot of healing that had to take place in my life yeah. and uh, changing my mindset. Yeah, because I imagine, like you said before, it's like a structure. I would imagine uh, being in religion, well, I can't really imagine, but I'm thinking that it would be quite uh, almost regimented uh, structure of what you have to believe, what you have to talk about. And I don't know, are you allowed to have outside influences when you're working as a priest or is it more just your, are you sort of in just a bubble where you just learn what is taught? Oh, I always had outside influences. I just, I'm, an, I'm a relational person that, person who likes to connect with people anyway. Yeah. And I, and I taught, I, I didn't only teach Catholics. I taught people who were atheists. I taught Catholics. I, it didn't really matter. Um, so I, I always felt that my own beliefs as a Catholic were always being challenged as well. Now, I mean, I was challenging them myself. I didn't need to be challenged by other people. I, yeah. I naturally challenged myself. Uh, and so the, there was always this this tension that existed and this fighting going on within myself. Yeah. Because there's kind of the what we would call the party line, and then there's here's me. Yep. And they didn't they rarely were jiving at that right, point. Right. Right. Yeah. As someone who strives for integrity, that's a very hard place to be. It's a challenging place to be. 
So now that you've been out of it for was it two years? Um, have you have have you found that your because you said before that you were able to think more freely now, uh, are you finding that a lot of those walls or barriers to do re- with religion have sort of come down and you've been able to open up a lot more? Absolutely. And I, I will say it's interesting. <laughs> the class I'm teaching is an introduction to philosophy class. And the very first part of introduction to philosophy is the philosophy of religion. Right. Because it's a very foundational question on the existence of God. Yeah. And so it's interesting listening to these, you know, 19, 20-year-olds in this classroom talk about their experience. I mean, I have a field there. I, I just love the experience. They don't know that I was a priest. Right. They just know me as this philosophy teacher. <laughs> I'm like breaking away at their thoughts. And, and it's really just can you recognize how limited your thinking is based on – I mean, it, it's often based on our family life. It's based on our parents. It's based on – all these structures that we're a part of that we need as children. But at some point you have to be able to break out of those systems as well. And to for yourself, I mean, the the primary goal of that class is to come up with your own personal philosophy. And I'm just giving you the tools to get there. Yeah. We we are living in in an age now where, uh, you know, say go back 20 years ago, people didn't leave their jobs. They worked there until they retired. So their lives were pretty structured as well, whereas now we're getting a lot more people who are changing direction later in life. I mean, I I started uh, studying counselling when I was late 30s um, and now I'm 50. Um, But learning that counselling really changed my whole outlook on life and I started to learn more about human behaviour. I'd always worked in disability and saw behaviours and how we had to try and limit them or change them. And But once you actually did counselling, I mean, I learned so much about myself before I learned about what I could do for other people. Absolutely. Yeah, same way for me. It's just a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because I don't know, there still might be lots of people who stay in their same job and they don't do any more uh, learning or education. But when you learn later in life, it gives you a different outlook, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh yeah, and I think eventually you come to a place like myself where that begins to break down for you, whether it happens when you're 20, whether it, I mean, I was, what, mid, late 40s at that point when it was happening. But, and I don't know what it's like in your country, but the at least statistically here, the, the number of people leaving their jobs right now in this period of crazy, of uncertainty, yeah is astronomical and it's primarily millennials who do have no interest in going back to that type of living. And I I can understand why. Yeah. Well, look, uh, we had become quite satisfied with how life was. And um, I don't know, I was sort of hoping a bit more for, I guess, a revolution when this happened that people would actually stand up and say, hold on, we're not going to take this anymore. This is what was happening before the pandemic. Um, and I know there's lots of conspiracy theories around and I've listened to them, read them. Um, I, I like to stay in the middle and, you know, I don't disbelieve, but I don't believe. Um, um, and I think uh, this could be a time of enlightenment for people where they think, you know, even if they're just thinking about their own self and how they've been going through life and then they've had to take a certain amount of time off work, um, and so they've had time to gain insight into what they're about. And working from about. home has also changed the mindset of people. 
Yeah, so it's been a whole big change for everybody, whether they liked it or not. And that's got to be a got to be a good thing if you haven't lost your business, I guess. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The, at least the conversation here is the number of uh, jobs now where people aren't working, and, and there's lots of people that want to say, "Well, they're not working because they don't want to work." And I'm not. I'm sure there's some of that out there that exists, but I, I do think that the conversation of the unhealthiness of work environment must be dealt with because now we can't run for it. We are aware of, of how it is because we've been taken out of it in many forms. And who, again, who wants to go back to that? It's, it's unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, some of the freedoms that have gone, yes, we need those back. We need to be, because we're all social animals. There's not many of us that don't like to go out and chat to other people. Um, And just, I mean, here in Australia, as I said, we're in lockdown again, Uh, just to be able to go and do some shopping and buy new clothes and things like that, which we haven't been able to do unless it's online. Um, And and I feel for the older people, like my mum's in her early 80s, um, she hasn't really been out of the house in the last 18 months, I would say more than a handful of times. Um, And it's also a bit of scared of about what's going to happen if she does go out. Um, uh, the governments need to really be working more on hope and the hope for change and the hope for better rather than keep drumming into us how many people are ill or how many people have died. We need to start changing that um, rhetoric and, and make it um, so that people do feel a, a sense of hope. I, I will say I've stopped following it all together. I'm, I'm aware of what's out there. Yeah. And I'm aware of like when I need to wear a mask and stuff like that. But I just, I couldn't handle the negative, negative, negative all the time. I, it's just not healthy. Yeah, no, it's just a, a bombardment. And yeah. very rarely is there something interesting or helpful that could change your thinking to a more positive way. And, and I mean, the health, uh, mental health uh, crisis that is going to be coming is going to be phenomenal. So we need to try and find a balance between what has to be done and how we can make people feel more comfortable about what's going on and more informed. I think that's another thing. Inform people of what's going on. Don't wait six months and then say, oh, well, that's what happened. (laughs) Be transparent and then everybody can make their own uh, informed decision. I mean, there's so much mistrust. And I lived with that in in church institution as well. It's so much rooted in mistrust of other people that we I don't know how you've changed that. I, and I, for me, it, it's pretty much cutting myself off from a lot of that that has helped me to reground myself in trusting myself. Um, but the the level of mistrust, and, and as a priest, it was mistrust from people. It was mistrust from the people above. But I, I, it always felt like I was in a lose-lose situation. Wow. And again, like why, why would someone want to be in that situation? situation yeah. where I'm trying to create win-wins, it, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Wow. I mean, look, um, when I first uh, got your email uh, or when we first connected, I, I didn't think that we would spend so much time talking about religion, but it's actually, it, it is important because it, it, it gives a different insight into what's going on around the world. And as you say, you're, you're now teaching philosophy which as a priest, I mean, you must have so many ideas and so much information that you've learned through the priesthood, um, which is, 
you know, phenomenal for people who are coming and, and studying with you because you've got great insight into human behavior, uh, compassion, uh, resilience, empathy. Yeah. I, and I, I'll tell you, so I spent four years at a, working at a retreat house, which was primarily high school, college. And if there was value in anything I did in the 15 years I was a priest, it was those four years because I learned so much about myself working with young people. I, I was blown away by the pain that young people carry with them. Like I, I don't remember that myself when I was a teenager, yeah. but I was, I was blown away. I could not believe the, the level of pain and hurt that some young people were carrying today. And, and it just blew me away. And, but it helped me become, the, that really be, helped me become the man I am today. And do you think that's because, um, I guess, in the last 10, 20 years, uh, teenagers have got more to deal with and they're also encouraged to talk about their emotions so they're more open about what they've been through or what things harm them or uh, I don't know. I mean, look, uh, I always say I'm glad I'm not a teenager now with all the social media (laughs) Uh, And I think social media plays quite a part in shaping the minds of some of these young uh, 12 to 20-year-olds in how they should be, how they should look, how they should speak to people, uh, what what their worth is. And it's almost like they're finishing high school and they expect to be a CEO of a company because they see one person on there who's made it and then everybody thinks, oh, that's where I need to be. Um, I I will. I will say that that was not my experience working with them. Right. Do you know, you know where the greatest pressure came from? Their parents. Right. Wanting them to succeed. Yep. Yeah. And always having to be the best and always having to be on top and always getting the best grade. That's where they felt the most pressure. Right. I, I, again, I don't remember that from my own parents. Other than my father was a teacher, so there was some pressure to do well at school. Um, but I don't remember us to be someone you're not at that point. I remember with my parents, they were just happy if I did something that I liked and that yeah, I earned, well, earned enough money to get by with. Um, How and, old are you? Uh, 50. Yeah, and I'm 49, so we're basically the same age. From my point of view, growing up as a child in the 70s, life was pretty easy because I think we had two TV channels, a couple of radio stations, and you were never home. You were out in the street playing with yes. all the kids that lived there. Until it turned dark. Yeah, and then you came running home and you had your dinner that was, I don't know, it was sort of on a saucepan with boiling water under it to keep it warm for you because we didn't have microwaves. <laughs> and a phone attached to the wall and all this. Yeah, things. yeah. It sounds like we're going back to the days of Leave it to Beaver, doesn't it? <laughs> well, for some people, they might think that. <laughs> but there was a simplicity to it Yeah, that does not exist. It is much more complex when you have all these other pieces I mean, the fact that we can have this conversation across the world oh. it shows the complexity, but we also grew up without it. We know what it's like without it. Yeah. Look, when I started the podcast in 2019, I, I've said before, I got a lot of friends to come on who were psychologists, doctor of philosophy, a friend who was a Reiki healer, and all these people I knew in my group, which I thought were inspirational anyway, 
And then last year when uh, in November, I couldn't get people to come on because we were on lockdown and I didn't know how to find people. And then someone contacted me and said, oh, do you want to interview me on Zoom? And I knew what Zoom was, but I'd never <laughs> thought about speaking to someone in another yeah. country. And then this year it's blown up and I think 90% of my guests now are somewhere around the world. They're not in Australia. So, you know, from yeah. my point of view as a podcaster, it's opened up my podcast to everybody. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good to it. It's that dark side that exists. So that at some point we have to confront as a society. It's really hard to pinpoint. I mean, look, you, you've grown up as a priest and worked as a priest. You would see a lot of uh, heartache and misery from people who come to you because, you know, you're their priest and they need to talk to someone as someone might go to a counsellor or therapist. Yeah. Um and how how do you actually hold all that in your head when you hear the different <laughs> stories from people and manage to diffuse it out of yourself and come back to a place of peace? Or is, was that another reason why you decided you wanted to leave and focus on philosophy? Um, no, that because that's what I loved. Right. That, that's what I loved about it. I, probably similar to yourself that uh, I wasn't where I was when I first started. It took me a lot of years to be able to learn to let things go, especially, you know, if you encounter someone that touches something within yourself that, that you've experienced yourself and um, it could bring stuff up within you. I mean, so I always had a spiritual director and I had a counselor and I had a coach and I, I mean, I've always had these people there that I could turn to to help process a lot of that stuff. Yeah, but a lot of it, I, I just learned to let it go. I I, it, I know that's easier said than done. I could still sit here and tell you certain stories though that impacted me. That were, I'm not, I'll never forget. I, there was one high school kid who lived his life as if his parents were dead. He hated both of them. Wow. They were going through a divorce. He was caught in the middle. What do you do other than love this person who is going through something like that and to the loneliness of, of going through something like that as if your parents are dead. Yeah. yeah there are stories like that that I'll never forget. Doing counselling <laughs> as well, I've had some stories of child abuse and um, mental abuse of people. Um, and yeah. while I'm in that moment, um, I'm affected by it. And probably for the rest of the day afterwards, it takes me a day, maybe two days to process yes. it and, and feel yes. okay with it. Not okay with it because I still empathise with what this person's gone through and I still don't like what's happened to them. But then I'm more able to let it go then. Um, and I think that was doing yes. my counselling. It taught you how to process something and then move yeah. on from it. Whereas I do know other yeah. counsellors who have said, oh, no, that story stuck with me for years. Well, yeah, the story sticks with me, but I've, I've processed it to a position where Correct. I Correct. can manage myself. Yes. Yeah, and I would, I would say the same thing. And it's also the reason why, I mean, I, even, I, would, I limit the number of people that I will coach at any given time because I need that time. Just knowing myself, I need that time to process through a story of helping someone. I mean, for me, it's a very intense moment helping someone and I need that that space to process through before I can let it go it is kind of amazing how within a day or so it's gone and I feel free from that yeah but there's still that process that has to take place brilliant well look Marty 
I think we have to close off there. Did you want to give me your details for where people can contact you? Social media is probably the best place where, where I'm at too. Yeah. Uh, at, at Marty Noki on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. I think it's the same on all three. Uh, at Marty Noki. Okay, I'll have to uh, link in with you on LinkedIn. I didn't realize you were on LinkedIn. It, it's something new. I've just started doing LinkedIn, but um, it's actually the podcast doing really well on LinkedIn. I've got so many people that have started listening. Nice. Yeah, I, I probably use Instagram more, but I still like LinkedIn for the networking. All right, Marty, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you for being so open. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing that you've just left priesthood and gone on to do new things and it's amazing. Thank you. Life changes you. I love you for saying that because only one other person I've interviewed at the end has gone, <laughs> do you know, life changes you. And I went, oh, my God, how did you? Oh, I, I even forget it's called life changes you. But, yeah, it has. It's changed you and you you feel a lot better about it. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's all about coming out on the other side. It is. And, and, look, transforming through different things, anything that's good or bad that happens in your life, even the bad things, you learn some really important messages from that Absolutely. that you take on and then it, it helps you in another situation. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on your Sunday night. Thank um, you. It was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.